participate in communion. We hope that you've felt welcome. If you're visiting, my name is Rick, and I'm the campus pastor here at Portico. And Christmas has erected itself here on stage. Have you noticed? Uh, the, can we thank Sharon? Sharon came here this morning and, and, and set up Christmas for us. And, and just like Heather said, it's not all about the decorations, but we do enjoy the decorations, right? Yeah, we enjoy Who has their lights and decorations up? Who would like to confess this morning they're not quite there yet? All right, that's okay. It is November the 30th at 10.44. You currently have 12 hours and 16 minutes. So you can get, still get those up before December the 1st hits. It's warm out. Today is the afternoon. I believe in you. We're, we're continuing on in our series, The Journey. And we're going to be looking at a story of a man named Jonah. <clears throat> but before we get there, I want to know, what are some of the things that drive you bananas? Just this, the stuff that you can't handle. Like for me, one of the things that gets on, just on my nerves is when the dishwasher is improperly loaded. And Does anybody get bothered by that right there? There is, I mean, look, when you go to the owner's manual, it shows you where the plates go. It shows you where the glasses go. And the spoons can sit with other spoons. The forks can sit with other forks. Because then when you pick it up, they're all ready to go and just right into the drawer. Some of you feel my pain this morning. You're living with people that don't understand how wonderfully these things were created so that everything could fit in there so perfectly. Maybe not like a giant problem, but a little annoyance that, that we have some of us in our homes day to day. You can, if you could just talk to Amanda about it after service. She's not in here right now, but sometimes she struggles with, with, with getting that exactly in there, and, and she, I would really appreciate that. I would really... <laughs> what about when you're at the grocery store, and you're pushing your aisle down, and you come to this in the middle of the aisle, and there's, there's somebody, and they want to look at all the the stuff on that side of the aisle. So they just abandon their cart in the middle of the aisle like nobody else is shopping in the aisle. And you know, Leah, that bugs you. Yeah, it doesn't drive you. You push the cart out of the way. You just like no holds barred. Just get it out of the way, right? (laughs) It's like they're the only one shopping in the grocery aisle. They have no idea that other people are there. Just little things that drive you crazy. Okay, I I have one more. You're sitting... I mean, the perfect example is if you're, if you're coming on Main Street right here and you're trying to turn left onto Ontario Street, that turn arrow has got to be like two and a half seconds long. I'm not sure that, that there's, they, they give enough time for even one car to get through. And the second that arrow goes, you've got to get going because there's, there's people waiting. And you know there's people, they're either illegally checking on their phone or they're, they're just catching, you know, sometimes if you've had a long day, anybody close their eyes when they get to a red light? Anybody, you know, you close your eyes when you get, you're like, I could get 25 seconds of sleep right now. I could close my eyes. And then the arrow turns green and nobody's moving. And we all know that that arrow is about to turn yellow. Those are just little things that get under my skin, as you can tell, as I'm a little bit passionate about that this morning. I bet you have two or three things that just bug you, that just make you mad, and it, they may not even be good re- things to get mad over. Like, none of these things are anything to lose my sanity over, but they are things that bug us for no apparent reason, just stuff that we wish was different. And we come to the life of Jonah as we're moving along the Old Testament in our journey, and we see that Jonah is this reluctant prophet, and he's a reluctant evangelist. 
It's a fairly well-known story to those who have been in church for a while, but let's put some context into it before we pick up and see what got Jonah all hot and bothered. Anybody remember where he was called to go? Where was Jonah called to go? Nineveh. So he said, God came to him and said, we want you to go to Nineveh. Now, why wouldn't he go and share the good news of Jesus to these people. He was, or the good news of God to these people. He was, a, he was a Jew. He loved God. He was a prophet. You know where he was called to go? Do you know where Nineveh is? He was called to go to the middle of Iraq, which we know are not always, is not always a favorable place for Christians or for that time for Jews to go to. Nineveh is centered right around the modern-day Mosul, which we've heard so much about in recent days with ISIS occupation. And let me ask you, if in this service, God speaks to you and says, I want you to go share the message of the gospel in the middle of Iraq, how many are going to buy plane tickets this afternoon? (laughs) That's a difficult thing to do, right? So, So most of us, we might say, you know what, God, they were all out of Iraq plane tickets, but I found this cruise vacation in the Bahamas that I'm going to be able to go to. We get on a cruise ship, and we head on down the East Coast, and we enjoy ourselves. This is what Jonah did, and some of, sometimes we get caught up going, you know what, why is Jonah just a bad follower of God? He's just disobedient. Let's put it in context. This was not an easy call for Jonah to go to. He was going to people that didn't obey God, didn't love God, whom he may have feared for his safety going into, and instead he hopped on a cruise ship because that seemed to be a better choice for him. So Jonah runs, and he's caught in this big storm, and he's thrown overboard because he tells the shipmates, you know, I'm actually kind of on the run from God, and he may not be totally happy with me right now. <laughs> They're like, and, and then he, he suggested that maybe they throw him overboard, and they said, sure, whatever. <laughs> if, you, if this is going to save our lives, you hit the waves. So off he goes into the waves. He gets swallowed by a fish lives in Iraq, or lives in the fish for three days, goes to Iraq, preaches Jesus or judgment, preaches the good news of God, and he's outrageously effective. If you think about it, the entire city goes into a time of mourning and humility, and they're begging forgiveness from God because of what Jonah said. And we pick up Jonah's plight here, and we're going to go to Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And if you uh, have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to be reading out of the NIV version. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So all these people had given their hearts over, and they've gone into mourning. And then then this is what Jonah says. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. As angry as I was at the misplaced dishwasher items. (laughs) And he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall, or that's, why I, that's what I tried to miss by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Talk about drama. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at, the place, at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant, so it withered. And when the sun rose, 
God provided a scorching east wind. Isn't God just a wonderful provider? Worms and, and scorching, wind, you know, scorching suns and winds. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die again. For it would be better for me to die than to live. But Jonah, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? And also, how many animals? This overall reaction of Jonah tells us that he's particularly mad because God ran his church, his people, in a way that Jonah didn't agree with. He wished God would do it differently. He had decided that these people were beyond forgiveness and just leave it up to God. Sure, he'll go and forgive everybody and, and, and let him in. Don't you just hate that when God gives people second or third or fourth chances? Doesn't that just drive you? Hopefully not. <laughs> we're being a little harsh on Jonah, but there's some parallel lessons that a modern day church can take away from the Jonah story. You see, Jonah got angry at all the wrong things for all the wrong reasons. And sometimes we see ourselves getting angry as well. Sometimes I think we get angry when God interrupts my agenda. We think, what's the purpose of life? What's the, why are we all here? I think some of us have a skewed understanding of what life is all about. We think that if we're, if we're a happy Christian living, living the, the happy life, that's like a good end. If we're, if we're serving God, we're in church, that's a good end. But you know what? God says that's not an end in and of it to itself. If we get a good job and we pay the bills and our family goes to church and we have good relationships, we have a life that's balanced in neighborhood and work and church and, and, in, and in sports, isn't that a good life? And God says, I'm not so sure. In fact, it's one of the biggest lies that we buy into as North American Christians that a comfortable life is a good end goal. That's our agenda, and sometimes God interrupts that agenda. This is probably the life that Jonah had. He was a prophet. He lived just north of Nazareth in, in, of Nazareth in Galilee, and he served God dutifully. And God said, okay, that's your life that you've got now, but now I want to use you. Now I want to do something with your life. Last week we looked at Esther and we saw that God designs us specifically to do certain things that we all have a specific calling and a specific purpose. And what if our job or what if our calling causes us to take a pay cut at our job because he's calling us to do something else? What if our calling messes up our family's life rhythm or our kid's piano schedule or something like that? What if following God would mean going the opposite way that would make common sense in our world today? Jonah 1, verses 1 to 3. We go back a few chapters. Here's what it said. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away and headed for Tarshish. Jonah's not the only one that faced this in the Bible. Abraham... He had to choose a barren desert land and give his cousin the good land, be obedient to what God's saying, and let go what the logical choice would be if people were making the decision. 
And then after all the years of waiting for a son and he was given the promised son, the logical thing would not be to sacrifice that son. But God said, I want you to sacrifice your son. Do the exact opposite thing of what would make sense. And in the, in the end moment, God said, this is really just a test of faith. I wanted to see, would you give up what made sense, what was comfortable to obey me? Let me ask you this. Would you be happier if you secured a good job, a well-paying job, or would you be happier fulfilling the ministry role that God has designed for you? That's a difficult one, isn't it? Because we like the comfortable life. We like that. We like the way that it feels. It feels like success when we've paid off our mortgage. I, will, I believe one day I'll get there. <laughs> I believe I'll have that feeling of success. A lot of you are all laughing at me like, yeah, sure, one day you'll get there. You're still waiting on it. And you know that that's the thing that waits years and years and years. And we would feel that would be success if we just had enough money so we could pay off the debt that's in our life. Maybe if we just paid off the credit card debt, that would be, that'd be successful, right? Or is success investing in God's kingdom and seeing someone that didn't know Christ come to know him because of what we've invested into them and what the Holy Spirit's done through us? These are tough questions, but these are the questions that Jonah's life asks us. Are we okay when God interrupts our agenda or do we get ticked off? Do we get ticked off when God ignores my preference? Look at Jonah 4.2. He prayed, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still at home and that I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew you were gracious and compassionate and I knew that you'd forgive them. This one always strikes me as funny. Jonah's big beef is that he forgave people. His understanding was that God judged people and God shouldn't have mercy You know, Solomon wrote about this idea in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 8 and 14. He says, there's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. There's something that feels so right when people who've messed up have to face consequences. Isn't there? The guy who passes you on a two-lane highway, okay? You're driving on a two-lane highway, it's late at night, and he gets right up on your tail, right? And his headlights are in your eyes, and they're driving you crazy. And then in all of a huff, he whips out and going 120 in the passing lane, and then he's gone, right? And three minutes later down the road, you see him pulled over on the side of the road with the cherries going. And what, yeah, <laughs> you smile and you go, you deserve that, buddy. You got... You messed up, you did the wrong thing, you pay the ticket, and don't tailgate me next time. We feel good when somebody who messes up has to pay the consequences. Or we see our coworkers at lunch, the ones that we feel, you know, they don't do what everybody else around here is doing. I work so hard, my partner works so hard, that person down at the end of the hall, they don't do anything. And then when they're passed over for the promotion, when they don't get the accolades of work, we feel, well, sirs, you're right. Maybe next time you'll do what you're supposed to do. We don't wish harm on people, but we don't have mercy the way that Jesus does. We feel like if you make the choice, you pay the consequences. You know, Matthew 6.14 and James 2.13 both remind us of the same thing, that we'll be shown the same level of mercy that we show to other people. In God's economy, the punishment 
doesn't always fit the crime. Sin equals death. With God, sin can equal forgiveness. Parents, sometimes we know that our kids need to learn from their mistakes, and parenting teaches us that you're supposed to make the punishment fit the crime. If their kids can't clean their room, what do you do? You make them clean their room and your room. <laughs> you say, I'll teach. If, if you're not sure how to clean, I can teach you how to clean. Don't, yeah, and Leah's like, no, no. no. Mom, close your ears right now. We say that if, if, if the kids are getting out of bed too early in the morning and they're up at like, they're supposed to be up at not till six o'clock and they're up at five o'clock, you say, okay, if you're up an hour early, then you'll go to bed an hour earlier. And we, we, we kind of make the punishment fit the crime because we feel that will, that will teach people the lessons that they need to learn. And sometimes we need to do that in parenting. I remember one of the most powerful moments that I've ever had was I was in, I was in a service and there was a, there was a message on this topic and they were saying, one of the amazing things about our Heavenly Father is that there are times when we've done the wrong thing. And there are times that we've sinned, and He looks at us, and instead of saying, and because of your sin, this is the price that you pay, He says, and because of your sin, nothing changes about the way that I feel about you, and nothing changes about how I'm going to use you, and nothing changes about the rest of your life. I forgive you. And they said, fathers, how many of you parent your kids with that same kind of love? And I remember I was sitting there, I had, I had heard in the morning about how Hope had gotten in trouble at school and I had a call home. When you get a call from the principal, kids, you know it's not going to be a good day, right? Like when, you're, when, when, when the call has come home. And, and I'm thinking, I was going home, there was a birthday party the next day that Hope was supposed to go to and I was all fired up, ready to go and say, no birthday party for this child, I got a call from the principal. And then I'm in this service that day, and they said, Fathers, how many, parent, how many times do you parent the same way your Heavenly Father parents you? And I said, Lord, no, don't take this away from me. This, 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 was, this, this was my chance to actually teach her that there's sometimes there's big consequences, that, that, that when you do something wrong, there's a consequence. And I remember going home and saying, hope you made a really bad decision at school today. She's, she's all teary-eyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you know there's, there's consequences when you make the wrong choice. I know, Dad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I said, and sometimes we follow through in those consequences. And sometimes we don't need to follow through in those consequences because that's the way God loves us. And I want you to know that I'm going to try and love you the best that I can the same way that God loves you. And she kind of said, really? <laughs> I can get away with stuff now? <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> but there's a power in that knowing that Jonah went in there knowing they didn't deserve mercy and God gave them mercy. Sometimes we get ticked off when those who deserve something don't get what we feel they deserve. You know, we've got a One Hope concert coming up and we've got the big give that we've been, we've been collecting diapers and, 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 and um, baby food and, and you can still give that in the in the foyer downstairs and we'll be doing that especially on the night of our one hope concert on friday december the 12th and we feel that there may be some people who would never receive this message of hope from jesus in fact we feel that there's some people that maybe we would say don't even deserve to be forgiven for the kind of life that they live you know what the story of jonah teaches me is that it doesn't matter who it is it doesn't matter what they've done they deserve to hear the same message of forgiveness and hope would you 
would we be willing to risk ourselves going, I'm going to invite somebody out to this concert on Friday, December 12th. I'm going to invite somebody out to an indoor, indoor Christmas Eve service. We're good. <laughs> In, no more outdoor. That was all Jeremy. We blame Jeremy. He, <laughs> he's not here. Throw him under the bus. Would we be willing to invite somebody to come and hear the same message of hope, even if we feel that they're so far that they never come to God or they don't deserve to come to God? And it messes us up a little bit because we get bothered, the third thought, sometimes when God interferes with our comfort. Even if we believe all of this to be true, it's not just enough to believe it without action. He is expecting each one of us to get involved somehow. God's not concerned about my comfort as much as he's concerned about my calling. Jonah gets all ticked off because the little plant that he had was keeping him happy. He had heard God's voice. That should be big enough to make any of us happy. If you heard God speaking to you, wouldn't you feel like, wow, this has been a good season of my life? He had seen multiple miracles take place. Listen, he, there was a raging sea going on, and then when he was thrown overboard, he was all excited. I mean, the... the um, the sea stopped raging as the way they did. That was a miracle. Then he was swallowed by a giant fish, and he lived inside of a fish for three days without dying. That's a miracle. Then he went to Nineveh, and 120,000 people decided to, to, to fall down on their knees and beg forgiveness from God. He led a mass revival. But none of that made him happy. Shade made this man happy. <laughs> His little plant was the thing that was making him happy, and then God took it away. We see that in Jonah 4.9. God can be so mean, can't he? <laughs> it, made, it made Jonah say, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But here's the teaching moment. Jonah's personal comfort was all that he cared about. He just wanted shade. <laughs> he just wanted to be happy. He just wanted to be back in... Back in Galilee, just doing the things that he was doing, saying, God, just leave me alone. <laughs> I believe that you love everybody. I believe that you have a message for them. Sure, if you want to forgive them, you even do that. I he even confessed, God, I knew you would do that. So I, it doesn't matter who you send. I know you're going to forgive them. Just let me be happy. Let me be comfortable in my little shade. You know, as, as, as a church leadership, we shamelessly come every week with a new need. We talk about how we do the seniors building food for life every Thursday. And we say, if you're off on Thursdays or if you're not working during the day, we'd love to have you at 12 o'clock and come and help feed the seniors. And we say, you know, we're going to raise X number of dollars for the ISIS crisis like we did last, last Sunday. And we say, we've got a vision campaign going on because we want to move towards online services so that people all over the world can hear the message, people that your families are connected with. And when you're traveling, we want to have a live service online line. And it's not all because we think you're bottomless pits of money and that you can give and you've got more time and you've got more money just to give, give, give. In fact, every time we go for an ask to people, we know that the, my family and Pastor Doug's family, we sacrifice just as much. We even say we need to lead the way and give first. We ask for time. We ask for money. We ask for involvement in God's church because we know that's what God expects. He's not concerned about our comfort. 
He's concerned about our calling. So we want to give every opportunity to mobilize a group of people to go and share God's love with our community and our world because that's what he's expecting. James 2.16 If one of you says, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is that? And if you read that passage down a little more, it says that kind of faith is useless. That's a mean writing, James. <laughs> That's a mean thing to put there. That kind of faith is useless. Luke 3.11. Anyone who has two shirts, shirts, that's hard to say. Anyone who has two shirts should share with, <laughs> yeah. try that one fast. I had home at lunch today. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Listen, this, this Christmas, What are you going to do to move past your personal comfort in order to find someone who needs to find their way back to God? What are you doing to say, God, I'm not concerned about just my personal preferences and I'm not concerned about my agenda, what I think needs to happen, and I'm not even concerned about me being comfortable. God, I want to do something so that somebody else comes to know Jesus. And listen, I I had already mentioned it, but the One Hope concert on Friday, December 12th, I really encourage you, come on out. Our arts teams will have a great concert. We'll have food and snacks in the gym, but they're going to hear a message of hope. The presentation of the gospel, the reason why we do this is because we know that Jesus came for us and he loves us and he loves each person and he wants to have the relationship with them. And that's why we're collecting items for the MCRC and the Infant Food Bank so we can go to our community and say, yeah, we care about you. And we don't just say we care about you, actually do something. And we care about you. And then on, on Wednesday, December the 17th, we're going to invite anyone that attends. Listen, they don't have to attend the church to come on Wednesday, December the 17th to do the big give where we go and deliver those items to the MCRC. That's for everybody as well. Sometimes you have a neighbor that would be more motivated to come to something where they're actually doing something than just to listen to music. That's okay. They will still hear a message of hope as we go to the MCRC and give all our donations. This past Wednesday, we had 40 or 50 people in this building, and we, we watched the Grinch, and we made Christmas cookies. But um, Davy and Janae Meisner, they, they had, I don't know, like three or four families, right, that came from the school and they're wanting to know, what's this, what's this church about? Why are you doing this? We've had folks coming with Rudy and Renee all fall to participate in creative arts and the martial arts, saying, why do you guys do this? Can we be a part of this? There's one little guy learning his Bible memory verse. He has no idea, never read the Bible before, but he memorizes the verse every week, taking a risk, doing something so that somebody else would hear the message of hope. And this Christmas... Here's the challenge from Jonah's life. Don't be concerned about your agenda, your preference, your comfort. Let's just worry about helping people find their way back to God, the mission of the church. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this morning. And um, we believe, Lord, that you have gifted each one of us to be the church. You've gifted each one of us to do something unique. And last week, Lord, we looked specifically, what are you calling us to? And Father, bring that memory into our minds right now, just as we pray. And Lord, bring the face of a neighbor, bring the face of a coworker, bring, bring the face of somebody that we serve into our minds. And Lord, 
Help us to know how we're going to sacrifice this Christmas. Help us to know what you've called us to do so that we're not just doing it because it's a good idea. We're doing it because you've called us to. God, the church is not a building. The church is not a meeting. The church is people. And the church has a mission that we would go into all the world and we'd make disciples and we'd let them know that you love them and we'd baptize them and see their lives changed. So Father, help us to own that mission. Help us to take steps of faith every day. Lord God, even when going the other way feels like the right decision, even when, even when running away like Jonah did, even when just following what would make common sense, is that's every urge that's in our body is going that way. Lord, help us just to take the step of faith you've called us to. Lord, thanks for the privilege that it's been to be in your house this morning with your people. And thank you that your Holy Spirit is so faithful to come and speak to us every time we come. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.